All right. Thank you, David. Uh, man, we got just a minute. Let's open your Bibles. Luke 14, starting in verse 25 is where we'll be. Yeah, it's cool to hear the story. I got to talk to my dad yesterday for a few hours about it, and it feels like there's some momentum. And we've, we've been sending people for a dozen years, and I don't know that it always felt like we'd ever reach the point where <laughs> there were churches established and people being saved and all that sort of stuff. And it feels like we're on the verge of that. And so it's really cool and encouraging to hear. So jump in with me, Luke 14. That's where we left off last week, starting in verse 25. And let's read it together. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, that's Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who come against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let me pray. God, we come this morning and we, one, are just thankful, God. Thankful for kids getting baptized. Thankful for parents having kids and desiring to raise them to know you, God. We're thankful for kids on the stage singing about uh, their thankfulness to you and all that you've done for us. God, we're thankful for what you're doing in Africa. We're thankful for so many reasons this morning. And so before we come and ask for anything, God, we just we want to say thank you, God, that you love us and you care about us. God, as we come to your word this morning, just for a brief minute, God, I pray that as we hear your um, your words spoken to the crowds about what, about who can and can't be a disciple, God, I pray that you would, uh, you would make it clear, God, and you would convince us that it's worth it, that even though there is a cost, that we would count the cost, and we would look at the reward, and we would say that is worth it. Following Jesus is worth it, and so I thank you for the many in this room that have counted that cost and agree that it's worth it. And I thank you for our brothers in Africa who have counted that cost and agree that it's worth it. God, I pray that, that more would. And so we love you and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, let's, let's jump in fast. I got 17 minutes. Um, and you're, you're doubting me. I can sense it. I can feel the... No, I'm just kidding. Verse 25. Uh, Jesus is has a great crowd accompanying him. And Luke is emphasizing the, the greatness, the number of people who are following him. Um, but what, what Jesus has to say to this crowd is maybe not what uh, somebody would say to a crowd today. 
he doesn't actually mince words at all. He goes straight for the jugular. He says some hard things that are hard to hear. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't soften the message at all. No, he looks at the crowd and he knows that many of them really are not serious about following him as a disciple. They're there for all kinds of reasons, because there's miracles, maybe there's bread, maybe there's a meal, maybe there's all sorts of reasons these people are coming. Um, but there's a variety of people in this, and that's true today. We live in a world where even in this room, even in Huntington, Texas, the Bible Belt, right, there are varying degrees, varying spheres about closeness to Jesus, right? There's some people that are followers, and there's some that are, that are close and maybe counting that cough, and then there's some on the fringe watching and not real sure what they think in the end, and they're out, and, and then there's some that are far off. And we live in this culturally Christian context, so we have a lot of people that would fit in this crowd today that profess some sort of faith, maybe because their grandma was a believer or their, their dad used to go to church or whatever, and they got to deal with the man upstairs. But they've got some measure of faith, but, but, but really they haven't fully committed and said, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And so Jesus turns and he speaks to this crowd today. And he makes it very clear, this is what it takes to be my disciple. And this is what's going to hold you back from being my disciple. And he's going to phrase all of these in the negative, right? And so that, that can feel kind of, I don't like this, Jesus. It can feel kind of uh, bold or, or too strong or too, too black and white. But Jesus is doing this to teach us the clear truth. And so he starts and he gives these different analogies. First one's in verse 26. It's about our family. And he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, his own mother, and his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is not holding back here. This is, this is amazingly extreme. Uh, and John MacArthur said it this way, Jesus is not calling for a makeover, he's calling for a takeover, right? This is not a simple little thing, right? And he's, Jesus has already said that his kingdom would divide mother against daughter, father against son. So what is, what is Jesus saying? Am I supposed to hate my dad? Is that what he's saying? Am I supposed to hate you? Is that what he's saying? No, right? Jesus is exaggerating to make a point, right? Because in other parts of Scripture, what does Jesus tell us to do? Love your wife. Love your husband. Love your kids. So we can't pit these two against each other. What's Jesus doing? He's making a point. And he's exaggerating to make a point that Jesus' disciples, their first and primary allegiance, the thing that takes the importance and the primacy in their life, is no longer their family but it's him. This is metaphorical language, not literal, right? The goal is not for you to hate your family, okay? Right? And some of you may already hate your family, so that the goal is actually to love your family. That's not Jesus' goal. But what's he saying? Some of you are going to decide to follow Jesus and say, I want to be a committed follower of Jesus. And some others in your family are not. And it's going to divide and it's going to cause separation, and Jesus is saying, when that comes, there's a cost. Are you willing to pay it? Are you willing to pay this cost that you might lose some family over this? 
And then he puts an exclamation point on the end, and he says, not just hating your family, which is an exaggeration, he says, even his own life. Now, is Jesus saying that we should hate ourselves? No. He's, he's using exaggerating language to make a point. Jesus is saying what? That the call to discipleship is a call to self-denial. That we don't make the calls anymore. It's a call to come under his lordship. That I'm learning from you. I'm following you. I'm not the one making the calls in my life. And so what Jesus is saying is that if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, neither our family nor even ourselves come first. The priority is what? Him, right? Verse 27. Y'all got to listen faster. Verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, we understand more after Jesus' death on the cross what, what he means by this. And he's alluding to what he's going to do and what he's going to accomplish on the cross. But Jesus is telling them the same thing. That you're going to have to bear your cross. That, that if you're going to identify with me, if you're going to walk with me as my disciples, then you will pay a price just as I'm going to. And Jesus is saying that, that one of the things that drives us as humans, yes, sometimes it's family, sometimes it's self, but sometimes it's death, this fear of, of death. Jesus is saying, if you're so scared of dying that you can't follow me, then you can't be my disciple. If you're so caught up with, with that might cause injury, that might cause pain, that might cause some sort of something against me, he says, no, my disciples will bear their own cross. Why? Because they're going to be like me, right? And their ultimate loyalty and identity and priority is Jesus, even if that means a cross. Verse 28, he says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Any thoughtful person uh, who wants to build anything in this life, whether it's a business, a family, uh, a, a, a tower, or whatever, it might just have this inkling in, heart, in your heart to build a tower recently? Anybody? No? Okay, all right. That sounds kind of fun. Nothing like that happens without serious planning and thought. Towers are, towers are not haphazardly built. They're not, they don't happen by chance. They require money and resources and time and quality. And someone has to sit down and go, here's the plan. Here's what it's going to cost, and let's do it, right? Someone has to figure that out. And he says, if no one does that, what's going to happen? Verse 29. Other, otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish it. So if you're going to build a tower today, some of you have that inkling today, so others don't. If you don't figure out what it takes when you start, you're going to get into it, and it's going to get hard. It's going to get difficult. You don't have all the resources you need. You don't have all the money, the time. You don't want to do it anymore. You stop halfway, right? If Jesus is saying, what's going to happen? Anybody drive by houses that are half finished and kind of laugh? Kind of go, oh, man, what's the sad story there? You know, what, what happened? But that's what Jesus is saying. So what is he talking about? 
What does he mean about what, he, what it means to be a disciple? Jesus is telling us, you must count the cost. We think it's all, oh, I just want to build a tower. I just want to follow you, Jesus, wherever that goes. And that sounds great in this room when there's some music and some, some emotion. But it doesn't sound so great a week later when life got hard, when, when somebody went against you, when, when somebody had a question for you. Right? We have to count the cost and understand that following Jesus will cost us something. It's not going to cost us all the same. Our brothers in Africa, their cost, we're just going to be frank this morning, is much higher. I had to black out some of their faces because I don't want them to be found out. Okay? Their cost is a little bit higher than you and I. You and I can follow Jesus and it's actually good for business still in Huntington, Texas. But the cost is something. Some of you it will be relationships. It's going to cost you relationships. Some of us, it costs money. It costs time. It costs lost opportunity. There's a cost. And the question is today, is it worth it? That's the question we're all trying to answer. Is that cost worth it? Because many people start a relationship with Jesus. Many start as kids, like Caden did this morning. And it's great. And I think it's real. But what happens is, is they get into life it gets a little bit hard. They have some other thought, some questions. People start nicking away at their faith, and eventually some of those people walk away. They haven't really thought through all that it's going to take. and all. The only people that endure are those who believe that Jesus really is worth it, that whatever the cost is, is worth it. He gives another example, verse 31. He says, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks him for terms of peace. So it's a similar story to the builder, right? Now it's a king, and just as a builder has to understand, do I have enough to do this? A king has to understand, do I have enough soldiers? Do I have enough skills and weapons and bullets to win this war? And if a king who's foolish will just go. Doesn't matter. He doesn't care. He's just going to go. But a wise king, if he sees that he's outmanned, outgunned, what's he going to do? What does it say? He's going to seek terms of peace. He's going to seek another solution. A good, a good king is not just going to take a beating and have his people demolished for no reason. He'll try to negotiate. He'll try to purchase peace in some way. Why? So that he doesn't lose 10,000 men. So what is Jesus saying about our faith? It's the same thing. We have to count the cost. We must understand that following Jesus requires sacrifice. It takes something from us. Yes, it is a free gift of grace that none of us deserve, but it does require something of us. And this king, he's going to make a sacrifice in order to make peace and, and it's a picture of, of what Jesus is going to do for us, right? That Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. He's going to make the sacrifice that brings us peace. He's saying, if you're going to be with me, it takes sacrifice. Many people make emotional, um, energy-filled decisions for Jesus. 
And, and some of those are real, and I've been to so many youth camps, I can't even count on my hand. And that's the picture I get. So many kids, like, man, I'm never going to sin again. This is awesome. It's like, yes, you are. On the way back to the cabin, I know you. And so many, we laugh. We laugh because it's true. So many of us are like that. We make this superficial, emotional decision. God, I'm going to follow you wherever. Walking with you is the best thing. This is awesome. I'm never going to mess up again. Yes, you are. What's Jesus saying? If we're going to endure, we have to count the cost. We have to understand that it will take sacrifice. I love the picture of a half-built tower. And just, I want you to just put that in your mind for a second. Just driving down the road, half-built house, half-built tower, whatever is easier for you to picture. And, and Jesus wanted us to picture that. Why? Because it's a picture of those who have started a journey with Christ, but have walked away from it. People that have claimed Christ have said, yes, I want to follow you, Jesus. But then something changed in their life and they walked away. People that used to sit in our pews and worship with us. People that we used to be in a small group with. People that we used to pray together with. People that we used to, all sorts of things. And they've fallen away. They go somewhere else. They don't go anywhere. They, they, now, the question is today, how do we view that tower? Do we drive by and laugh and mock it? Is that how we should be? No, not at all. How should we view those half-built towers, those people that we know in our life that have walked away, that have not finished the race, that have, have, didn't count the cost and are, are on the verge of walking away from the faith? How should we as Christians view those half-built towers? We go and we love them and we help them. We bring them resources, we bring them expertise, we bring them something to try to help them continue on the journey with Jesus. Why? Because we believe that Jesus is worth it. People that are followers of Jesus help other people. Let's keep going. Verse 33. He says, so therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple for some, the thing that keeps them from following Jesus is their stuff, their money, possessions, inheritances. Not that that happens today. That must have just been true in their day. I'm just kidding. That's true for us, right? Following Jesus might cost us something. And I, so too many of us, have a, greed has a hold of our heart and selfishness has a hold on our heart that we're not even willing to give up some money in order to follow Jesus. And this is not a call to give today. Like, I'm not saying that at all. That's not the point. Jesus is saying that sometimes is going to stand in the way between you and a relationship with me. And, he, and Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, that cost is worth it. Now, renouncing doesn't mean that every one of us should be poor. Because Jesus talks a lot about giving. Well, we can't give if nobody has anything, if we gave it all away, okay? And we can't be good stewards of our stuff like he tells us to do if we don't have any stuff, okay? So he's using exaggeration again to point out that this is about preference. This is about priorities. And what comes first? Is it my bank account? Is it my time? Is it my family? Is it my, myself? Or is it Jesus? Look at the last one, verse 34. It says, salt is good. 
But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When I read this, I thought, Luke is just, well, what? What? What Why'd you put that there? Why'd you put that there? That doesn't make sense. You're talking about following him, and now you go to salt? What? What is this? This fits in Matthew somewhere else. This is not here. But I thought about this as Luke is thinking about what Jesus had to say and what he was teaching the crowd that day about being a follower of Jesus. He said it's like salt that's lost its taste. Now normally it's salt is salt. I saw this funny meme and I should have put up a picture of it. And it says like 2,000-year-old Himalayan salt. Right? Anybody know this, the pink salt? Anybody give me a little head nod. Okay. And it has an expiration date on it. Like for next year. And you're thinking, how is this 2,000 years old if it can expire next month? Okay, whatever. Salt is salt. It doesn't lose its apparent properties. It's NaCl or some other salt, Glenn. It doesn't change. That's its core identity. And so Jesus says, if salt loses its taste, how can it be restored? What was happening that, that happened to them is they processed this salt. It got mixed with all this other stuff, and it became diluted. It became ineffective. And it had a lot of other stuff and a little bit of salt. And it wasn't good for fertilizing. It wasn't good for decomposing. It wasn't good for salting your scrambled eggs. It was worth nothing. And so Jesus says, there's no way to fix that. And what does he say in verse 35? It's of no use either for the soil, for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear. Jesus is making a spiritual point here. That becoming a follower of Jesus is a core identity change. It's a core fundamental change of who I am. Like, I'm becoming N-A-C-L. I'm becoming salt. And salt does not lose its taste. Salt is salt. And Jesus is saying, following him is not this temporary, part-time commitment. Following Jesus is a lifelong identity change. Yes, we are all going to fall short. We're all going to mess up. None of us follows Jesus perfectly. But Jesus is saying, this is not a next two-year decision for you. This is not the next two-week decision for you. Following me is a lifelong decision. Count the cost. Now, today, as I close, some of you are asking the question. Some of you have have come to that edge and have looked and gone, man, I'm not sure. Is that cost worth it? Is is it worth the sacrifice? Is it worth the change of priority? Is it worth the change of identity to follow you, Jesus? And you're actually asking that question. And I want to say, yes, it is. I've not given up as much as our brothers in Africa. I've not given up a lot compared to many of you, but I can say without a doubt that following Jesus is worth whatever cost that we face. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this morning. And I thank you for the pictures of grace that we've seen. God, Caden's life being baptized. God, how you've rescued him. New babies being born. God, that's grace. Kids singing your praises. Some, many who don't even know you or haven't been saved, God, but that's grace. 
that they're in a place where they can hear about you. And each one of us are pictures of grace that we do not deserve to hear this good news that Jesus is worth it. So many look at the cost and go, no, that's too high. I'm not paying that. I'm not going through that. God, we thank you for the grace that you've given us to believe that Jesus is worth it. And I pray that if there's someone here today who doesn't know, who's questioning that, God, I pray that they would see that forgiveness and mercy and salvation in you is worth it. And so I pray that today they would cry out to you to save them. It doesn't have to be elaborate or fancy, God, but that they would pray, God, I know I need you. Please rescue me. Please save me. I'm broken and I got nothing else besides you. God, I pray that you would give some faith to believe today. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.